What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode four of the Beer Barrel Podcast. I'm your host, Normal Volfan, and today we're going to be switching it up a little bit. We're going to go into a different conference today, and we're going to be talking ACC. Honestly, probably the team with the most hype going into this year in that conference, other than Clemson, the Florida State Seminoles. I'll be joined here today with a uh, Florida State podcaster, and his name's Sporadics. When he gets in here, we'll be jumping in and talking about all this hype coming the, to FSU's way. So buckle up, grab some popcorn, and we're going to get right into it. So like I said, uh, I'm joined today with Sporadics. So, man, I got to know, uh, can you tell us the origins of Sporadics? And uh, how'd you become a Florida State football podcaster? Uh, <clears throat> so... It started with me because I knew that Jimbo Fisher was about to leave. And once that was going to happen, I knew that the fan base uh, was going to start. No matter who we hired as the next head coach, there was going to be a, a downfall. Uh, there was going to be a lot of negativity spoke about. And I wanted to create something uh, where people came and spoke intelligently about how we fix the situations that were going on, you know, and or – uh, talk about the rough patches that we're going to go through, but do it in a way that we're not bashing our our own university and also bashing uh, the coaches or any of the players while doing so. Um, I started a Facebook group page. That's how it started, and I was writing articles from there, and we got up to, I don't know, somewhere around 4,000, 5,000 members, and they all said, instead of you writing all these articles, why don't you just do a podcast or do a YouTube channel or do all the above? So. Um, it was kind of forced upon, but I'm glad they did it because it ended up working out really well. Yeah, I see. You got a really big following, man. That's that's really awesome to have. Um, now, hopping into your team, uh, I mean, you guys are really hyped up this year. And that, needless to say, I mean, I'm they're going to be good this year. I don't, I don't doubt that at all. But, you know, Florida State has a really storied football history. You know, to, in my opinion, you guys have probably one of the coolest uniforms ever. And uh, but what really, you know, inspired you, you know, to focus on the Seminoles and what makes your program really unique between, you know, different ACC schools? Well, I would say I was. I was probably destined to be a Florida State fan and, and the reason being. My uh, grandmother was full-blooded Seminole Indian, and wow. my obviously my father and all of my uncles and them were half uh, Seminole Indian. So the, the only team that was out there that represented, you know, anything any type of heritage for our family was uh, Florida State, and it being an all-woman's college at first, um, it, it meant a lot because they allowed a certain amount of Seminole Indian women to attend the school each year. And I think it was just destined because uh, no one in my family, uh, especially on my dad's side, we don't have any Gator fans, Miami fans, or any other fans than Florida State. So, um, and then moving up past that, the only team that I cared about recruiting me was Florida State. And I had... 13 offers, if I'm not, yeah, 13 offers before Florida State offered me. And um, that was the only one I was waiting on. I went on a visit there. 
there's a huge story behind that visit, but we won't get into the depths of that. Um, but once they offered me, I knew that's where I was going. So, um, unfortunately, I didn't end up getting to go, but that's where I wanted to go. No, oh, man, I don't blame you, man. That school's really nice, and I heard a lot of good things about it. Um, now, you know, speaking of the fans, the Florida State fan base is known for its passion. How has the support of the fans evolved over the years? Does it really, you know, can you see a different impact to the team when, you know, it switches? Well, I will say, I will say our fan base, um, the older fan base, uh, they got extremely spoiled to winning, um, as did my, I did as well. We we don't really know what losing looks like, especially at the time that it started happening. It was just a completely uh, uncharted ground for all of us. Uh, but I was really surprised at how well we all stuck together. Um, we we started things like Spiratics. We we had certain um, support groups, and I know that sounds weird, but there was things that we were putting around whoever the head coach was uh, to show that we had – they're back completely no matter, you know, what hill they had to, to go up or no matter how bad it got, we were trying to make sure we let anybody and everybody know that we were behind the team 100%. Um, I don't, you know, some of those games where Florida State fans would stick around um, where we were getting just, I think Clemson had us 59 to 14 at one point. And I think they did that to us by the third quarter. There wasn't another point scored in that game, but, the majority of the fan base was still in the stadium um, in that game. Whereas you see other teams around the ACC where some, you know, the ACC is what it is. It's a, it's really a basketball conference. Mm -hmm. um, And you can tell that by the way, some of the other ACC schools act. Um, But you, you see a lot of fan bases. If they're not winning, um, that stadium could be empty by the second quarter. It could be um, empty real quick. Uh, Florida State fans, I think they love the game of football and respect it so much uh, that that they show respect to the game regardless of if we're getting beat down or if we're not. Yeah. And, I mean, with your, you know, I mean, I call him new coach, but he's, you know, he's only been at the helm for a little bit. But Mike Norville, is that how you say his last name? Norville. Yeah. He's, I mean, one of my favorite coaches in college football i mean just watching what he's doing right now especially in the recruiting trail um what changes and improvements have you seen in the program since his arrival well you know it seems like it's a cliche to say culture because you hear that a lot in media um but if if everyone really knew how bad the locker room was uh, before coach norvell got there um everybody was kind of split there was guys that had been there under Jimbo and then Taggart, and now they're, you know, moved on to the third head coach. And the fan base, uh, including the administration, including the coaches that were being retained, like Odell Higgins, he's been there since Coach Bowden. He's still, he's still there to this day as the defensive line coach. And he's been retained through um, Jimbo after Bobby left, then uh, Taggart, and then now Mike Norvell. Odell Higgins has never been let go. Uh, they it's like a constituent it seems like no matter who the head coach is uh, they've got to allow Odell Higgins to stay there which I think some would be really silly to want to get rid of him but um, 
I think Coach Norvell did a tremendous job of not just preaching his message, but living it. And the fan base, at first, you know, after coming off of a short tenure with Willie Taggart, where we thought that might be the guy, uh, you know, whether we thought it was the great hire at the time or not, uh, we were going to fully support uh, Willie like he was Coach Bowden, the same way we did with Jimbo. Um, we trusted our administration to hire the right people, um, whether our you know personal differences were there or not. Um, we were going to support him 100%, and then our administration gets rid of him after a year and a half. So then I think the fan base kind of took a step back, and we were kind of wondering, well, can we trust the next hire because of how you know quickly they just got rid of um, Coach Willie Taggart. But Norvell came in, and he was honest with us. And he wasn't just honest with the, you know, the team or just the administration, but it was almost like he had a meeting with the fans. Um, he, he came out for his, you know, his first uh, conference and he told us that if we gave him the, the time that was necessary, that he would get Florida State back to a winning program and where it's supposed to be in the college football stature. And I think from that moment, we trusted that what he was saying was true. And then guys that we knew as a fan base um, on the team that weren't meshing well together, didn't like one another, um, he got those guys together. And he got it to where that uh, not only would they play with each other um, as far as, you know, on the team, but they were the leaders that were getting everyone else, like the newcomers in. Uh, he gave them responsibility instead of um, – probably notching them down, uh, making them sit. He gave them more responsibility to show them that the team and the university was bigger than just the, the ego problems or it was bigger than just the new coaching change. And I think when he did that and all the fan base noticed it, he just, I'd hate to say instantly gained our respect, but he works so, so fast and he does things at such a quicker pace than most. And he's very transparent in what he's doing, even with the fan base. So it's something that, you know, I think Coach Bowden was very transparent, but not even as transparent as Mike Norvell is. We we just kind of know the ins and outs of what's going on. Um, anybody could be a beat writer right now at Florida State, with all honesty. That's how open uh, Coach Norvell is with this this team. I mean, it's it's amazing. So um, I would say that that would be – um, what he did that that definitely made Florida State fans come together and really respect what he was doing. Yeah, and he actually really reminds me of a Josh Heupel because he did the same thing coming into Tennessee. The culture change is is fantastic. You could see it in the fan base. So it's actually really cool hearing you know another team going right. You know, it sounds like the direct path because you know a lot of people think Florida State could be giving Clemson a run for their money this year. So. Um, you know, staying on him, you know, he's doing such an incredible job in the recruiting trail. Okay. You know, recruiting is huge in college football. You know, can you discuss some of the top recruits or commitments that Florida State fans should be really excited about? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the, the 2023 class, um, I think they're going to see him play a little bit this year. Um, you're going to see Sam Singleton, uh, the running back. Uh, he's what we call that guy. Um, he's going to be extremely special here at Florida State. And then Hakeem Williams, he's his nickname's Avatar. Um, he's just built 
different than than most. Um, he looks bigger than the full grown men on the team already. He's a he's a true freshman. Um, but we're we're really excited about those two for sure. Uh, but if you talk about what you know this class in twenty twenty four looks like, uh, this will be the best recruiting class that Coach Norvell's ever landed as the head coach. Period. Um, especially at his Florida State tenure. Uh, you know, landing someone like K.J. Bolden out of Buford is in the backyard of Georgia, uh, where Georgia's just came off of back-to-back national titles. Uh, it, it means a lot. And the, the backfield for Florida State has kind of been down over the past couple of years. And I think, you know, that Norvell had noticed it. We had Coach Woodson move on to – that was our DB's coach. He moved on to Arkansas. And we hired Coach Pat Sertain. And a lot of people questioned only because he was in the NFL and was very successful for over 11 years in the NFL. Um, A lot of people didn't know that he was the head football coach at American Heritage down here in Florida and had won a lot of games. Um, So, you know, Norvell made a really good hire in uh, hiring Coach Pat Sertain, who was – he was actually a defensive assistant coach for the Miami Dolphins at the time that Florida State called him to be the DB coach. And now uh, we've got Charles Lester, another five-star uh, DB that's in the class. And we're still after uh, a couple other ones that are uh, potential to flip to Florida State. This is the this is the highest in Florida State's recruited since probably 2012. This will be the best class if they stay with inside that top 10. This will be the best class that we've landed in in quite some time. And it, it's um, refreshing for Florida State fans. It's, re- it's refreshing for the administration point of it because, you know, they've got that ratio out there that, that you have to have a blue chip ratio of at least X. Um, and the only team that's ever went without that ratio is Clemson in 2017. And they were only off by two players for it to be where the the minimum number was. So Florida State's been kind of um, lagging in that area. Um, And luckily with this class, they're not. Um, And the wide receiver class uh, for the 2024 cycle is also uh, quite phenomenal as well. Uh, We got Luke Cromenhawk at the quarterback position where we were on him. We were his first offer. Um, He wasn't even a ranked quarterback. Um, He wasn't. A three-star, he wasn't anything, and now he's considered the third quarterback in the country. So we like the evaluation point from Coach Norvell and Coach um, uh, Tokarts, the uh, QB coach. They were on this kid first, and uh, we're extremely excited to bring him in as well. And then you get Cam Davis in the running back position um, that a lot of people – he should be in – if he was playing running back solely – 100% 100% of the time at high school, he would be considered the number one or number two running back in the country. But because he's playing both sides of the ball, he also plays quarterback at times or wide receiver. Um, he doesn't he doesn't rush as much as some of the others. So for him to even be a top 50 player doing all those different things is wild within itself as much as he changes around. But we're extremely excited for the 2024 class. But I think, you know, the, the real bones – and foundation of this team was built off the 2022 class where we took eight offensive linemen. Uh, we, we took a lot of the big guys because that's where Florida State started struggling the last year of Jameis Winston. Um, in 2014, you noticed Jameis on his back a lot more than the 2013 season. And then 
the offensive line just kind of steadily went downhill from that point. And this is the, the best depth that we've seen at Florida State in quite some time. And it wasn't easy to get back to this point. So we, we know what had sac- been sacrificed to get to this point. Right. You know, speaking of, you know, still on the recruiting side, but, you know, the dynamics of college football, you know, have really been changing in the recent years, you know, including discussions about, you know, NIL and conference realignment. How do you see things affecting Florida State? And do you still think Florida State is going to be in the ACC in a couple of years? Uh, No, I don't. Uh, Me personally, um, I've got Florida State going to the Big Ten. And the reason being is because we went and hired the uh, president of our university, which was the president of Harvard University. And then we went and hired Michael Offer as the athletic director. Both of them have huge Big Ten ties. Um, Florida State's actively trying to get their AAU membership, which is it isn't a requirement to get into the Big Ten, but it makes it easier to get into the Big Ten if you're an AAU member. And a lot of people, you know, geographically, it makes more sense to be in the SEC. It actually makes more sense to be in the SEC than the ACC. But I, I don't know if, you know, it's different than taking a Texas and an Oklahoma. And I was asked why. The reason that it was different is because of our situation with Florida and Florida State and then Miami. We play Miami and Florida, Florida every year. Um, Miami being a conference game, Florida being an out-of-conference game. Um, Florida really does not want us in the SEC along with a couple other teams that don't want us in there. Uh, so I really don't believe that that the SEC can talk those four teams that I know don't want us in the SEC in. And I think that Florida State's been aiming for the Big Ten for the past three years anyway um, with bringing in the gentlemen that they did, uh, knowing that we're actively trying to get the AAU membership, knowing where Athletic Director Michael Offord came from, and there's some other things. I've got a whole uh, – well, there's probably four in total videos about us going to the Big Ten and the evidence of why we're going to the Big Ten uh, versus others. Um, I think that it's major for us, and everybody hates the fact that it's going to change, you know. It's what we're used to. And people, when they're used to something and it seems to be working, they hate for change to happen. Uh, but Florida State has a very valid point. So does all the ACC schools that understand it. Uh, by 2024, we're going to be $35 million behind each year of the Big Ten, $32 million behind the SEC. Um, and you can't compete at the level uh, nationally that you would want to if you're in 10 years, 400 and something million dollars behind. Um, unfortunately, the dollar drives this decision, but – Florida State fans, along with Florida State University, want to compete at the national level, not, you know, we don't want to be a subpar team. We don't want to be worse than everybody else. We want to be able to compete for the best recruits. We want to be able to compete for ACC or Big Ten or SEC championships and go into the playoffs. And it's, you know, it's really hard to do already with all the all the teams that are actively recruiting the state of Florida, Georgia, and Alabama and Louisiana. It's going to be harder when the LSU's, the Alabama's, the Florida's, um, UCF going to the Big 12, they're actually going to make more money in 2024 than Florida State or Miami does either. So when you've got others with 
that amount more of money than you do, they can do things that you can't. And it's just not going to be feasible for us at Florida State. So we have to make the move that is good for Florida State. Right. And it's crazy because, you know, Florida State reminds me a lot of us. And, you know, we both have experienced those highs and lows in the, you know, past, what, 20 years. Um, But what do you think is the path to reestablishing the Seminoles like as a college football powerhouse? And, you know, how long do you think that'll take? Well, luckily, we're already three years into our process. Uh, consistency is the the main key focal. Uh, I like that Florida State's new administration is not the old administration. Where a lot of people want to blame Jimbo Fisher for leaving. Um, Jimbo, and I'm not a Jimbo Fisher fan, but I, I tell it how it is. Uh, Jimbo Fisher wasn't wrong for asking for what he wanted. Uh, standalone football facility, we, don't, we still don't have one. We're about to have one, but we don't. Um, when you go to Oregon, when you go to Alabama, when you go to Tennessee, when you go to Miami, when you go to Florida, they have their standalone football facilities. They have the bells and whistles that these kids nowadays in this generation, they don't know anything about Coach Bowden's legacy. They don't know um, too much about what Jimbo Fisher did. They were in diapers at that time. So it's about what can the school do for me now, not what the school do with less than. And with Coach Norvell in there, um, with the gentleman that he's brought on, um, Coach Atkins is probably, I think, the best uh, offensive coordinator assistant coach in the country at this time. Um, it's, it's about having the right people to build the success that's necessary. But their message has never changed since the day that they stepped foot on campus. That message is the same. And the consistency behind it has caused us to grow. And to, to my eyes, it's a very fast pace for you to go from three and six your first year or three and seven, whatever it was, to 10 and three this year when there wasn't a big jump in blue chip ratio. There wasn't a big jump in recruiting classes. We were ranked somewhere in 18th, 20th, and 19th uh, for the first three cycles. So it's been development from the staff. It's been um, the message has stayed the same, and I think that Florida State, you know, I feel bad for Miami and Florida because the years that we were down, they really could have capitalized. Like Miami could have finally won their first ACC title, but they didn't. Um, Florida could have, you know, made a run for a national title, but they didn't because they were too busy changing coaches multiple times. Um, so luckily for us um, – you know, I would say that Florida State's gotten theirs together quicker than people anticipated, but there's still work to be done because after this year, we're, we're going to lose a lot of uh, production because we returned so much this year. Um, but luckily, because of the classes that Florida State's putting together for the 24 cycle, the gentlemen that are stepping up next year, the quarterbacks were a huge problem for Florida State under uh, Jimbo after Jameis. And Willie wasn't able to get one period in, in any of his classes. So with this class being able to – or this staff being able to get A.J. Duffy, which was a top 25 quarterback in the country in the 22 class, and then uh, 
Brock Glenn in the 23 class being an, another top 15 guy and now getting Luke Cromenhawk a top three guy. And then you've already got your 25 guy um, committed as well. But you got to keep those commits, obviously. they they got to stick. But recruiting has really jumped up, and that's how you're going to win games on the football field. But also keeping the consistency as far as who your head coach is, who the you know strength and conditioning program is. And right now, Florida State's had that consistency for three years. And, you know, soon if Florida State does what they're supposed to this year, you know, we fully expect poaching to start happening for Coach Atkins to be wanted as a head coach, for Coach Fuller as our defensive coordinator to be wanted as a head coach at possibly a G5 program or maybe even higher than that. We already lost Coach Dillingham. Uh, he went to Oregon after one year at Florida State as our offensive coordinator, became Oregon's offensive coordinator. He was successful at both, and now he's the head football coach at Arizona State. So that's the type of things that where it's sad to lose those coaches. You know, unfortunately, that's what you have to do to, to grow. And when, you're, when you've got guys doing a good enough job and your program is succeeding to the levels that other teams want those coaches, that means you're doing it right. That means that it's things are moving in the right direction. So um, just stay consistent and continue to, to live the message that you're preaching. Right. You know, you said it perfectly there. Uh, you know, same thing. It's like I said, it's so crazy how much alike our two teams are. Um, but I really want to know, you know, other than, you know, Jordan Travis, you got uh, everyone knows he's going to be huge this year. But who in this upcoming season, who is your sleeper that is just going to blow, you know, a lot of people's minds? So you could go straight to uh, Trey Benson. Um, the running back, and I, but I don't think that that would be a surprise to Florida State fans. Um, I, I think that that's kind of well known. Johnny Wilson's another one that's the six foot seven wide receiver that had a really good year last year. But those guys to me are kind of on the radar. The gentleman that I would say is not on the radar that's going to surprise uh, the country is Keziah Holmes, and he's the gentleman that transferred from Penn State. Um, He's also a running back, but if people will go look at his film, what which what he did at Penn State, how elusive he is, how powerful he is. He's got better top speed than Benson does. He's just as strong as Benson, but he has the awareness of um, a gentleman that just transferred out of here because of him transferring in in Trayshawn Ward. It's that patient running style. They wait for their blocks to happen. They wait for the hole to open up. They don't just bombard the first crease that they see. They wait for the play to develop in front of them. So Keziah Holmes would be the guy that I would say is the dark horse to blow up this year. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to keep an eye on him because I'm definitely going to be watching you guys a lot. As long as Tennessee ain't playing, but you know Florida State's definitely going to be one, the one team, and I really want you guys to beat LSU this year. So let's let's make that happen. Um, but you know, going away from those you know really serious questions, kind of, I want to go you know you know take a break, kind of you know look at um, something like uh, if you had to be at a one game ever, you had to pick one game ever all time. What game would you want to go to and be at personally? Like as far as the same game over and over again or a particular team that we play every no, year? No, just a game you remember that you wish you could have been at. Um, 
probably the probably the game we had last year where we beat Miami forty five to three. Really? Yep. You just love beating up on Miami. I love beating up on Miami. Um, <laughs> if I had to make a second choice, it would probably be the two thousand and thirteen national title game where we played Auburn, where we were behind at halftime, where everybody thought we had zero chance of coming back, and it was crazy because all of the Florida State fans that we were around and talking to, and it was like we were all calm. We were all collected. Now, I'm sure that there were some that wasn't. But oh, the yeah. ones that we were around, we just had that that expectation that we were going to make those halftime adjustments and it was going to be a ball game at bare minimum. And we came out just swinging in the, the second half and ended up landing more punches and uh, ended up winning that 13 national title game. And, we, you know, at the first part of that game, we thought, you know, we, we didn't allow another one to get away because Coach Bowden had made it to so many and only won two. And we probably should have had four or five. And for him to only have two, we kind of thought, here's Jimbo's, you know, re, kind of repeat of what history has showed us that you're going to miss on some of them when you make it. Um, so for us not to, to lose out on that one, I'd love to see that game. Replay. I mean, I watch the replays of it probably at least once a month. Yeah, you know, speaking of Jimbo, are you are you shocked at you know the performance he's having at A and M? What I will say is about Jimbo, he's. I think people are kind of hard on him because of of how successful he was at Florida State, and he hasn't you know he hasn't carried that over at the tech, into Texas A and M. But Jimbo's last two years at Florida State, it it already had started. So that's why it was so wild to me that a Texas A&M was going to offer the type of money that they did for him because he had already started pivoting toward the wrong direction. Direction because you know he came off of the thirteen year and fourteen. Uh, we went you know to the first year of the playoffs, but we lost in round one to Oregon. Um, in a fashion that we should should not have lost in. We, we I don't mind losing, but getting blown out is a problem. And then, you know, 15 and 16 weren't great years. So it was really surprising to me that he was able to sell, well, it's because Florida State won't do this and won't do that, so we're not competing. It wasn't anything to do with him. Uh, but I will say this. If Jimbo will separate his personal life, which he used to do very well. If he would separate his personal life um, from coaching, uh, he would be just as successful as he was at Florida State in the, the 13-year. Um, but his son has went through a lot. Um, his son's got a very rare disease, and it's taken his you know his mindset elsewhere. Um, and you know, I think it's a huge step for him this year to bring on an offensive coordinator. Um, and a lot of people are wondering: Is he really going to let this? Uh, guy called the plays or is he not? I I won't say this. What I will give Jimbo credit on, if he says he's going to do something or that guy was hired to be an offensive coordinator, he's going to be the CEO type as hard as it will be for him. He'll do it just off the basis of he sees that it's needed as well. It didn't. It's not the fans that pressured it. It's not the administration that pressured it he has to say yes at the end of the day. And he could have very well said no, um, but he had Petrino come in. And I think that that's going to be good for their team. Uh, but we'll see. 
I'm not a, it's hard for me to say too many good things about Jimbo because I wasn't a fan of him at Florida State and I sure wasn't the way sure wasn't after he left the way that he did, but I have to tell truth where I see it. Oh yeah, I completely understand. And you know, with the talent he's got on that team, it's kind of hard not to think they're gonna do better this year. But you know, going back to the game you were talking about, um, you know, I really wanted to talk about the teams like Florida, Miami with you. You know, what makes those most exciting and honestly which one do you hate more florida or miami so what i what i will say what makes both of them so exciting is you know florida state was independent for quite some time before they entered the acc and we we had this mentality coach bowden did anybody anywhere at any time and that's why you saw florida state play the ohio states the nebraska's I mean, we would go all over the country, the LSUs, um, and Florida being, you know, that flagship university in the state of Florida, we wanted to prove that Florida State was going to be competitive at the top tier of college football, regardless of who the flagship university was, regardless of what school supposedly had all the money. Um, and, you know, Miami has a lot of talent down there in high school for the longest in the 80s and 90s. It was almost, you know, it was almost like pulling wisdom teeth to get uh, players to leave Miami. And Coach Bowden started becoming the first one to be, to be successful at pulling talent from down in South Florida. Uh, but, you know, what makes it so special is like the Michael Irvins that were at Miami, The all of these guys' names. All of the guys that are at Florida State used to play either with these guys as teammates in high school, or they played against them every you know every year their high school versus their high school. As much as it is this hate mentality, we're on the field and we can't stand for them to win, and it made the rivalries amazing because at the end of all of the fights, at the end of all of the scoring and all of the cheap shots and all of it those guys uh, would get in a circle and they were playing at the end of the game together. It, you know, while we're playing, we hate you. After it's over with, we're all, we're all family. Um, so I think what makes it special is whoever was usually the, the, the team to win out of Florida State and Miami in the 90s or the team that was going on to a national title. With Florida, it was the same way in the mid-90s because in 97 it was the same way. Whatever team won – that last game was the team the team that was going to be in the national title. Um, luckily, in 97, we played – it was 96 or 97. Florida and Florida State played, and Florida State won in the regular season. That's always our last game of the year. Um, then we played them again in the national title game. They needed four SEC teams to lose that year for them to be in it. And somehow it happened. Somehow all four teams that needed to lose lost. Our starting quarterback broke his neck. And – uh, we had a backup play in the national title game against Florida, and they blew us out by 30 points. So those are what make those rivals, I, I would say, special. Um, and we're, you know, we're really eager to get back to that point. It's it's an it's not enough to just say that you're the state champion down here anymore because you always got that in those rival games. But usually, whom won out of those games was going on to a national title game and. Unfortunately, over the past five and six years, that hasn't been the case. Um, you know, Miami has Miami has been down for two decades, 
they have they still to this point have not won an ACC championship. And it, I know that sounds like I'm trolling, but I'm really not. Florida State's had five bad years. We've we've had, you know, was it one, two? We've had three total losing seasons since 1976. And before the last two that Coach Norvell had, we had only had one. So we really aren't used to losing. Um, that's why I think it's so important that Florida State's in the situation they're in. But what makes these rivals special is that these guys, they all know each other before they step on the field. Um, they've all played with or against each other. And I'm just ready for it to be, you know, number five Florida State against number two Florida, number two Miami against number one Florida State. That's what I'm ready to get back to. Um, I don't know that we ever will get to that high of a standard again as far as both schools at the same time being one and three or, you know, two and five. But at least in the top 25, at least let us be in the conversation. So that's that's what I'm ready for. All right. I, I got another interesting question because, I mean, like I said, I, I am a huge fan of your coach. But if you couldn't have court, uh, sorry, Coach Norvell, other than Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, who would you like to see as far as state's head coach? Mm. Can, it could be anybody. Anybody. I think, you know, realistically, before we we hired Coach Taggart or Norvell, um, I was a huge fan of getting Mark Stoops, who's the head football coach. Wow. And the reason being was is because what people don't know about Mark Stoops is the connections that he has with Florida talent. He can walk into any high school in the state of Florida and kind of handpick guys, especially if he was at Florida State, if he had that university as his backing. It's kind of hard for him to do at Kentucky because Kentucky is known as a basketball school. They're not, you know, there's not a lot of things to do in Lexington that I know of. Um <laughs> There's a whole heap of a lot to do in Tallahassee, but it is the state of Florida. So I, I wanted him realistically, but if I had to pick someone that was just completely – people are going to hate this, but I would pick Lincoln Riley really quick. I don't I blame would, you. He's he's really good coach, really good coach. And I would have him quick. Yeah, he's, he's another culture guy. Like, people love playing for him. So, you know – but, you know, I'm going to get into – this is probably the last question for you. But, uh, you know, looking ahead to this season, I mean, what are your predictions for Florida State? What do you expect and where do you see them finishing in the ACC and potentially college football playoff or what What bowl game or, you know, what do you expect? So I've got two scenarios for that. But um, the one that I feel and the one that I trust the most in is that Florida State goes 11-1 and in the regular season plays Clemson in the ACC championship and wins it and is one of the teams in the college football playoffs. Um, and that's, you know, that's a huge jump even from a 10-win season last year. But I, I think they have the team, and I believe that they have the the want and the drive to do it. Um, but I could also see us going 10-2 and two and playing for the ACC title still. But – having two losses keeps us out of that top four 
playoff situation, um, maybe playing at Orange Bowl. Now, you know, you say an 11 and one, who's that one loss to? Clemson in the regular season. Are you guys playing them at home or? We're playing them at their house. No, okay. See, so, yeah, and it's a lot of Cade Klubnik. You know, I'm, I still have question marks for him, um, but he should be, you know, something huge this year. But same thing, you guys got Jordan Travis. So it's going to be a really fun game to watch. You know, last year when y'all played him in the bowl game, I think that even though, you know, y'all's defense, I would say y'all's secondary, really, I think y'all's front seven was, was decent, if not good. Um, but I think that y'all's secondary had some question marks. But I think the way that y'all threw him off in that game exposed some things that, you know, he is a very young quarterback. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw that out there right off the bat. And I'm really glad that we're playing them game four um, in the season because hopefully they don't have that new offensive coordinator in um, my guy's brother that I just said. Um, hopefully him as the offensive coordinator isn't, you know, getting everything firing on all cylinders by the fourth game of the season and there's still question marks there and some inconsistencies that Florida State can take advantage of. Um, but I think Klubnik's going to end up being a really good quarterback at Clemson. Now, I would like him to show it later rather than earlier. Um, but we don't, you know, we don't think we're going to go into Clemson and just take that game. We know if we win it, it's going to be extremely hard fought. Um, it'll be a dogfight all the way to the end. But we also don't count our team out on it either. We we see the scenario where we can, but we also know that beating Clemson in their Death Valley is not a it's not a simple task. And we wonder if Florida State's at that point yet. And that's you know those these two games with LSU and Clemson are going to tell a much larger story than just two games. It's going to tell you exactly where this this team is as a whole, can they play in those big games and win them? And we think that they can. We have all the faith in the world that they can, but you you have to go out there and do it. And now it becomes fact over, you know, won't. So right. we beat LSU in Orlando, depending on what that score is, um, which I have Florida State beating LSU 38 to 27. Um, and, you know, each day that we get closer to the game, which I don't trust ESPN at all, but each day that that margin that they had Clemson beating us by 68% or not Clemson, LSU was going to beat us. They had a 68% chance of beating us. That was the same thing they had last year. In oh, 20. Yeah. And they're saying the same things. Everything, it's almost like this year is just on repeat of what all the LSU, ESPN, SEC people are saying is, well, they've got, Perkins and they've got Smith and they've got this and they've got that. They had all of that last year and we didn't have to double team a lot. We didn't have, we, we gave up two total sacks in that game. That was it. So Jordan right. hit the ground behind the line of scrimmage twice. That's it. And, you know, we're very similar to LSU. We have a lot, you know, they have 85.3% of their production return and we've got 87.2. So, very similar in teams there, but I wanted to ask you a question before we got, you know, completely done with it. Oh, yeah. Is Joe Milton 
going to be the quarterback that y'all think he can be, or is Joe Milton going to be the quarterback that everybody else is trying to make him to be? So, you know, I could give you two answers. Kind of favors both sides of what you just said. There's either one thing you're going to get. I, Me personally, I think you're going to get the Joe Milton that we want. And I think Joe Milton, just seeing what, hearing from fall camp, hearing from, you know, what's going on is I think, I think he's going to be, I'm not going to say Heisman candidate. I'm not going to say that, but he, he's going to be the Joe Milton that we need him to be this year. Um, actually, uh, the LSU guy power uh, or Carter B that came on my podcast not too long ago, he actually thought that uh, Joe Milton wasn't going to be our quarterback by the end of the season. I don't see that happening unless he gets injured. And I think he's going to shock a lot of people. I think, and if, and if Joe shows up, I'd really be surprised. We don't win 11 games. And I think it's tough for us though. I mean, we got to go to Tuscaloosa, which is my one loss. I, I don't think I just, I just don't see it happening, but I, we could beat Georgia. Anybody could beat Georgia. Any, anyone with like, the talent to do so they can, but yeah, Joe Milton, if he shows up, I think Tennessee's the sky's the limit, but yeah, I do believe Joe Milton's going to show up. So from the outside, looking in from a complete, you know, I don't keep up with Tennessee to the depths of what you do and, and others that watch your podcast do probably. But what I will say is any quarterback, that did not throw an interception. I don't care how many games he played in last year. I, I don't care about that part. Any quarterback that throws for the amount of attempts that he did and did not throw an interception, and I understand that the kid's got such a big arm, people are worried about him overthrowing the ball. I get the the the, the caution there. But when you've got someone like Josh Heupel teaching this kid every day on how to be a quarterback – Look at the quarterbacks that Josh Heupel has. I mean, way less talented. Did oh, not yeah. have near the physical talent. I mean, Baker Mayfield's one of them. Um, there, there's so many that that Heupel said, "Hey, man, y'all need to look at this kid. Get this guy." Hey, Jordan Love. Jordan Love. Well, he was, yeah. There's. So, look at him. I mean, if people don't consider Heupel one of the, at least the top ten, but I would put him in somewhere close to the top five in quarterback development. I just think with you've got you've got Anthony Richardson, but with what he what Anthony needed at Florida, the Josh Heupel. If Anthony Richardson would have had someone like Heupel at Florida, that kid would have been a Heisman all day. That's why I think I was personally wanting you to say that he was a Heisman candidate because I think with the proven record of Josh Heupel, with the the physical abilities. The athleticism, the arm strength. I mean, you go down the list of what Milton's got. I would put him as an early prediction. At, at least he's going to be in New York. I'm not saying he's going to win it because that's going right. to base off of a lot of things. But I think he's definitely a candidate. I, I think that anybody that doesn't say that they're homers and they're just they don't want it to happen. You know, Tennessee hasn't been the 1998-99 Tennessee that they once were with the Peyton Manning and the year after Peyton left winning a national title. All of the things that they did at that time, and y'all know it. Y'all have had some 10, 
win seasons since then. I think 17, y'all had a pretty good year. But you didn't have a Josh Heupel. You didn't have the staff that they've got. I mean, y'all just went through the whole Pruitt situation. Yep. And for this to be turned around, what, Heupel's been there, what, one year? This is his second? No, this is his third year. This is his third? Okay. Yeah. So, that's right. Oh, my bad. So, going into his third year, with what he's already done with this program in the SEC, might I add, I wouldn't question his evaluations if I was a fan of anybody. I'm not going to question what he sees as a quarterback based off of his track record, based off what he just did with Hendon Hooker. I don't think people realize that Hendon Hooker wasn't this amazing QB before he got with Josh either. I think if you really go look at his history, he was a loose cannon. Uh, he wasn't as careful with the football as I think Heupel made him. Um, I think Heupel created another NFL draft pick in Hendon Hooker. I think whoever got him stole it, by the way. Yeah, uh, Detroit. They stole a, a huge one. I know he got injured, but when that kid gets healthy again, he's going to be something else. Um, but I see Joe Milton playing on Sunday, and I think with Heupel, it's – I think y'all end up having a really decent year. Um, I'm with you, though. I get where you would say your one loss is to Alabama. It's because it's Nick Saban one, it's Tuscaloosa two. I mean, oh, it's yeah. hard to go in there and win, but y'all were able to beat them last year. And they do have question marks this year. Um, I know you're not counting Tennessee completely out of it. I know you oh, yeah. Alabama's just going to wash y'all there, but I do understand not betting against Nick Saban. I get it. Well, the thing about it, too, is, is like this team – you know, even last year, like I said, the culture thing. But two years ago, we were afraid of Alabama. Like, right. it was like, oh, we're playing Alabama. We're probably going to lose. This team ain't afraid of Alabama. So Alabama, I get it. Like you said, it's Nick Saban. But, dude, you, I have Alabama losing three games this year. They don't have an easy schedule. Nope. And people think I'm crazy. It's like. Dude, no one's afraid of Alabama. And I've got them at two losses. So, who do you got them losing to? I personally think that they lose. I had them picked to lose against y'all, even though y'all were playing them at home. Um, I don't know if I had them losing their second game in the championship or not. I see. I think they lose to Texas and us, or not us, but Texas. LSU and um, God, that's what it was. I've got yeah. to lose to y'all and LSU. I actually don't think they lose to Texas. Really? The reason that I don't think they lose to Texas is because I don't think Texas is ready for that defensive front. The same way that the same way that LSU fans are trying to state that Florida State's not, and they're just looking at us as an ACC school, not as Florida State, and that's fine. Let them do it. But Texas, honest to God, does not play a defensive line like what Alabama, not like what Tennessee, Florida State, they don't play those defensive lines. And I think that that's where they're going to realize that just by having three pounders isn't enough. They have got to be athletic because the edge rushers for Alabama this year, not, not everybody knows their name yet. But those kids can bend and they do things off the line that I think is going to surprise a lot of people. 
Um, and the, the offense that Texas runs, they're used to having time in the pocket. Alabama's not going to give them that time. I think that they're going to score points. I think that, that Texas gets into the 20s, but they're not going to score 30 and 40 points like they think. Right. That's that's just uh, – I think y'all have a way better shot. Even though y'all are playing them at home, I still think y'all have a way better shot at being the team that pulls Alabama down before Texas. Yeah. yeah, and you know what's funny is Alabama actually has five games they could lose this year because they, oh, yeah. they play A&M, LSU, us – uh, Texas, and I mean, I wouldn't even count out Lane Kiffin. No, so, he, so he's you know, it. he's done it. Oh, yeah. And hey, he's waiting for that phone call when Nick Saban retires, though. I'll tell you that. He's the only one. See, I think he's the only one that's going to be crazy enough to take that job. Oh, yeah. Because if he screws up, you know how fast that hot seat's going to come. Yep. Because no one's going to be able to live up to Nick Saban. Nope. I would but, love to be the guy after the next guy, but I would, <laughs> yeah. Next guy. Yeah. But man, wow. I, I really enjoy talking to you, man. Um, how can the fans connect to sporadics and stay updated to Florida State football uh through your podcast? So you can um my main thing that I like people to do is to go to YouTube and put in at sporadics and it pops right up. You can even Google sporadics and it'll take you straight to the YouTube page first. Um Every one of my socials are at Spiratics. So if you put it in on Twitter, if you put it in on Facebook, if you put it in on Instagram, um, all the new ones, it's at Spiratics. Um, but I really want people to keep up with us on YouTube. We have a show every Monday and Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We have pop-up episodes due to recruiting situations and also post games now that the season's here. Um, but – I'm also on the Mark Rogers show on Wednesdays at six. Um, that's the voice of college football show. And, uh, but the thing that I want everybody to do is go to the YouTube page because that's where my co-host is a former fullback of Florida state. Um, his name is James Coleman. So I've got someone that went through the recruiting process that played under the the dynasty teams, the the guy that knows the ins and outs of what's going on. And it a lot of people, even um, I, to believe it or not, I've got quite a few Tennessee fans that watch the show. Um, we're also on, um, if you go to the BoxCast app um, on your TVs or your phones or whatever, we're on WSBN Network. We're actually on uh, internet television. Uh, we've got a contract with WSBN, which is World Sports Broadcasting Network. And we've got a couple hundred thousand people that watch over there. So um, we're easy to find. Just Google or go to YouTube and put in at Sporadics and we should pop up everywhere. Awesome, man. Yeah, like I said, you know, I'm actually a really big fan of your show. Um, I watched only a couple episodes so far, but every time you post, I tune in. So I highly suggest anyone watching this podcast, man, go check them out. Um, Florida State's definitely going to be huge this year and fun team to watch. So, uh, like I get, like I said again, man, I appreciate you coming on here, taking your time, you know, to talk to me about Florida State, even some Tennessee. Um, but I guess we'll end it here. Like I said, uh, everybody, go check them out uh, at Sporadics everywhere, and um, 
Yeah, this is episode four of the Beer Barrel Podcast. I'm your host, Norba Valfan. Like I said, joined by Sporadics. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Appreciate you having me.